coordination and sound is helpful to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. If you're feeling overwhelmed as of late, it's safe to say you are not alone. I'm director of podcast Taylor Camille, and this week we are back in conversation with educator, author, activist, and creator of the Smarter in Seconds series, Blair Amani. You may recall our Women's History Month episode with Blair back in March, but today she joins us to discuss maintaining our well-being amidst the stress and uncertainty of these unprecedented times in which we are living. As an online creator, Blair understands the demands that can contribute to feelings of overwhelm and the importance of holding space for vulnerable conversations around our mental health. In our conversation, she shares great examples of what overwhelm feels like, which I'm sure many of us have a difficult time putting into words. And she also shares tips on how we can all prioritize our well-being. Here's Blair. Well, hi, my name is Blair Amani. I'm an online educator trying to help people get smarter one post at a time. And I'm also the creator of the viral series, Smarter in Seconds. Yes, and we're so happy to have you back. We had you on in March for Women's History Month and happy to have you back for our minds issue and talking about a subject which I feel we can all pinpoint and feel, but sometimes don't know what to do with. And it's around feelings of overwhelm and how to maintain our well-being amidst all the uncertainties and all the cluster hellish situations the world likes to throw at us. So I guess to start, really wanting for you to explain the impact of uncertainty and stress can have on our mental health and why it's important for us to address this issue and even how you've experienced it in your personal life. Oh, I think that right now is the most apt time to discuss it because I am really like taking stock of all the things in my life and what I want to be doing next. And, you know, honestly, my goal for like the next like 18 months, we have like a cute little schedule is to start family planning. And I want to make sure that I have a safe and healthy pregnancy. And, you know, as somebody who's experienced pregnancy loss in the past, I'm really taking stock of like how my own physical health, my own mental health and the stressors in my life are impacting my body and my mind and my spirit. And that means that I have to start removing things from my life. You know, I have generalized anxiety disorder, which means I'm always going to be a little anxious, babe. But Mm -hmm. whether or not I'm pushed to the point of having a panic attack has a lot to do with the sensory input I'm allowing for myself. So, um, I mean, for me being an online creator, I have so much demanded of me and this is how overwhelm gets you, right? Like you just slowly start, what is it? It's like a, there's some fable about um, a frog in a pot of water and it doesn't realize it's boiling until it's mm-hmm. dead. Cause like your body mm-hmm. temperature will just rise with the water and suddenly you're dead, um, which is very grim, but I think it's a very apt um, demonstration. I think for a lot of women of color and particularly black women, um, but you know, women writ large have to experience not just the work that we're doing and the life that we're living, but this emotional labor and these expectation of mothering the world that is untenable, unsustainable, and fully exhausting. And so I think the fact that we're meant to deal with it, um, for me, I got to this point where, you know, uh, working 
online and with my various, you know, organizations where I was like, oh, okay, well, if I just take my rescue tranquilizer medication, which is what I'm supposed to take when I'm having an active panic attack. I was like, well, if I just start taking that every day, I'll be fine. And I'm like, really realizing, okay, not only is that bordering on substance abuse, but it's also, I shouldn't be in a state of panic so often that I'm having to, you know, for my own body because everybody else's body chemistry is different or, or brain chemistry is different. But um, for me, that was just like a really big signal that I'm a frog in the pot and it's about to boil. What are some of the things you do to keep the water, I guess, not at boiling point? Like when you start realizing, how can you kind of like try to peel it back and kind of reset? Well, I think part of it is to get out the pot. Like that's a huge, yeah. like going back to the metaphor, it's the environmental factors for me right now, because, you know, once a year for a week, I try to go to Costa Rica. Um, I host retreats. I'm actually still, um, you know, applications are still available if you want to come vibe with me in the forest, in the rainforest in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really been like my escape and my outlet. And when I'm there, I am so zen. I am so chilled. But it makes sense, right? Because I have somebody, you know, it's like this eco-luxury resort where you go and you relax and you're learning and you're doing all the beautiful things that humans are meant to do. We're not meant to be in a state of constant panic and constant suffering and con- constant witnessing of our, you know, fellow family and human beings suffering. And yet we are. And we have this world where we can have the worst news possibly imaginable. And we've realized that in the past week delivered to our phones. And as we're processing it, we're also expected to, you know, speak up at the drop of a hat. Like there's just so many things Mm -hmm. that go into it. Um, And it can be very troubling, very difficult um, while also recognizing that you're suffering in your own context, but the suffering you're witnessing is just to a degree that might be unfathomable and something that I don't think humans should experience or should witness um, because we shouldn't have to go through it in the first place. So I think part of it is getting out the pot. So for me, that's been completely reimagining my connection to social media. Um, I love educating people. I love providing free resources. I love having a classroom community. But I recently turned off my direct messages um, and my story replies, and I feel so much better because I think part of it is that maybe I shouldn't be communicating with a thousand different strangers every week who all have very strong opinions on what I put on my head, what I put on my face, what I wear. Um, But I had to get out the pot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm still in the social media space, but I really had to reimagine the conditions and structures that I'm allowing myself to engage with because it is untenable. And just because I can survive it doesn't mean I need to. Right. Does not mean you need to endure it. And you mentioned, obviously, this week being all the world events that are happening. I've myself have found it really difficult to consume all of the information and perspectives and um, almost as I do when, you know, Black Lives Matter has happened throughout the years and has had, you know, surges. And I think it's really difficult to find the balance between staying informed on what's happening and then just kind of avoiding information overload. Like, I don't think we as humans were meant to know what's going on everywhere and have a position on it um, and then publicly share that position. So it just snowballs into something, as you said, it's untenable. Are there any methods you have to help navigate sort of, you mentioned turning off your DMs, but anything else that you've done to be like, okay, I know enough on this. I feel like I've got the information I need and I have to tend to myself now. I mean, I'm still figuring it out. And I say that with like the deepest of breaths, because I think a lot of it is guilt for me, where I feel very guilty for not being able to speak up 
I feel very guilty for not being able to say the right thing or use the incorrect language. But then I also have to give myself grace and understanding and recognize that, you know, as somebody who is viewed as as an authoritative voice on a variety of different issues of oppression, I've been trying to sit with the immense disappointment that people have with me um, for not communicating what's in their hearts and what they want to see reflected back. But I also have realized that that's not my responsibility as a human being, nor is that something that I can accomplish. That is something that is like a standard of perfection and and the putting of, I think, often Black women on a pedestal where we're viewed Mm -hmm. as strong, resilient, but also at the same time, constantly in service of other people. So I've seen a lot of bullying of Jewish and Muslim creators and educators, um, particularly for those who are uh, Israeli and Palestinian. I've seen this for Black women across backgrounds, whether they are Muslim and Jewish or or Christian or you know other denominations or you know not having a religious affiliation or spiritual affiliation. Um, just a lot of demands. And I think it's what it comes down to is like what I said, like people want to see their hearts and minds reflected in the people that they love and respect as voices on a subject. And um, I think for me being a queer Muslim black woman, there's a lot of uh, danger that I'm in regularly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I recently got denounced by a very major imam within the Muslim community, and that has shifted how I take care of myself and my safety. But that's not something that I think everyday people who engage with my work are thinking about. But I am because mm-hmm. it's me. And so I had to really take a step back and, you know, take stock. And I'm so glad I can do it now because previous years, whether it was around the murder of George Floyd and people speaking up um, around the movement for Black Lives, I was just feeling so responsible um, mm-hmm. because I I feel like, you know, people can't reach out to President Biden the way they can reach out to me. Not to say I'm on that same level, but I feel like I get a lot of the heat that he maybe deserves um, Mm -hmm. directed at me. And I think that understanding that, connecting with my peers, connecting with people who are also going through it has been very cathartic for me because it's just the aloneness that it can create and the, the sense of not doing enough. So I'm doing a lot, um, just trying to make sure that my friends and my family see how I'm showing up and and know my heart and trying to recognize that there's a lot of systems and structures at play that have placed me into, you know, where I am. And I'm trying to do the best that I can with it. And I think that's what we're all doing is really having the best that we can. So it's kind of moving from this place of sitting with the disappointment you may be causing for not being able to be the mirror people want to moving to a place of grace and love for yourself and even for anxiety and feelings of upsetness and feelings of anger that your heart is affected because I think it would be so much worse for me to not feel anything than for me to be in this place of very deep emotional pain because at Mm -hmm. least I'm a human being. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep. You're feeling the feels and our sensitivities are our strengths. And so also, I think you are at the level of Biden because you've been to the White House. So I think <laughs> Girl, I haven't even met him, though. It's OK. No, I'd, I'd much rather not be. You know what this you know, this past week has taught me I never want to run for political office. I do not like having that amount of 
responsibility to constituents. Yeah. You know, because you cannot block the American public if you run for office. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even Hard though some block. Republicans have tried. <laughs> thanks for voting for me, but no thank you. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. So I can say thanks for following me, but no thank you. But I can't really do that same thing when it comes to other other structures. So I think that that's been the biggest reflection point. But do not put me on that same level. I, re- I rebuke it. <laughs> you I rebuke, rebuke it. it. Okay, I name and I shame the devil. No. <laughs> whether it be world turmoil or it be the job market, you know, the writers on strike or the actors on strike, we can feel like retreating into our shells and isolating is the best route or like all we can handle because there is just so much to feel. Do you have recommendations for like what to do when you are trying to be, you need your community, but you also have this really big tug that like you want to be alone? I mean, be alone. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, I think like last Tuesday, I literally just sat in my bed all day and I was like not even playing video games. Like I just needed time in my own mind palace where I could just chill and sit and be with myself and be, you know, working through those intrusive thoughts, working through that panic, working through that anxiety. Um because that's how terror and war work on our minds. But that's also mm-hmm. how capitalism works on our minds. I think that, you know, I did a video on TikTok. I was like, capitalist map is saying there's a labor shortage while posting jobs that only exploit people, you know? And like, <laughs> just thinking about that point even further, I think back as a historian to the plague that happened in the, you know, in the Middle Ages, there was mm-hmm. a huge public crisis of healthcare of of health well first of all they didn't even know germs were real they thought that like spirits were infecting your body and i know some of my aunts and uncles still feel that way but anyway um but after the plague happened there was this big rise up of workers coming together Mm -hmm. and so this is history repeating itself 600 years later and i think that um that gives me a lot of comfort i think for some folks it gives them a lot of anxiety but to me it gives me comfort because i'm like our human bodies have been through this once and we'll go through it again again and um It's really reassuring to me, but now I can't stop thinking about how my uncle Caesar is straight up having a medieval (laughs) mindset sometimes. I'm going to call him and tell him about that. He's going to tell me it's aliens. But anyway, I think that um, what I have done is I find my lane and I stick to it. I got a big lane when it comes to speaking on social issues, but I have a great big lane. It covers race, class, gender, disability, sex, gender, sexual orientation. I recently came out as intersex. Um, We just had coming out day. So I partnered with the National Black Justice Coalition to talk about inviting in as a method to not force people out of a closet, but to recognize that society assumes that people are straight and cisgender until they say Mm -hmm. something else. And then mm-hmm. creates a structure where you're going to be put in danger to say that something else. And that also mm-hmm. includes intersex folks such as myself. So um, I'm also speaking up on book bans. I just did a, a video talking about um, the new collaboration that Move On has with LeVar Burton because he taught me how to read, helped me get my yeah. first book published. You know, he taught me how to read way before he even knew I existed. But he helped <laughs> me get my first book published, um, Modern History. And now, um, you know, helping America of the United States to read banned books and say, you know, no to these extremist groups that are trying to dictate what our children are able to learn and and what history they're able to learn and whose stories get to be told. So I'm doing a lot and I can't take that for granted. And I think that in your aloneness, when you do need to unplug and disconnect, that sense of overwhelm comes from inadequacy. It comes from an internal feeling that is enforced by society. This is me preaching for a minute, but, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the church. Today I'm a Muslim, but, you know, it runs deep. You can't take the yeah. Baptist out of the girl. But, no. <laughs> you know, when it comes to imposter syndrome, we're told that we 
are inadequate. We're told that we are not enough. We're told that people who look like us can't be in the positions and places that we are. And we start to believe it. And once we start to believe it, we're told we have an imposter syndrome when what it actually is, is that we have this socialized defeatedness and this victimhood where we are really forced and put into these places um, where we get to these places that we're told we don't belong there. So in your aloneness, and Audre Lorde talks about this, how, you know, community care is self-care and vice versa, but it's really also about taking a moment, taking a beat and thinking about the legacy that you've already left. So that way, when you're in your moments of rest, you can think back on that and go, actually, I am enough. Actually, I am doing the things. And for me, mental health is a huge factor because my brain will be like, no, you ain't. You ain't, yeah. you know. <laughs> She's loud but, and rude. <laughs> loud and rude. But then I also have to check myself and go, mm, no, actually, that's my, you know, chaotic mental static versus the actual truth. So it's a journey. I don't think anybody figures it out. But that's why we listen to folks like Renee Brown, because she seems to know what she's talking about, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think just giving yourself grace is the biggest part and finding your lane and doing some good in it, but recognizing that you can't do all the things and nobody can. And I think you're right. Like instead of forcing connection, like if you really need to just lay it down, lay it down and give yourself, give yourself that grace so that you don't burn yourself out or overextend and show up as, you know, far from your truth. And Trisha Hersey talks about it. She'll say, take a nap. You know, yeah, the nap yeah. ministry on Instagram, highly recommend her new book, Trisha Hersey's um, Rest as Resistance. So important. And I think there's a lot of people, particularly in the U.S., because of our labor laws, where they can't take a break. They right. can't put it down. Oh, there's a new app. Let me tell you about this app. It's called Exhale. It's an Exhale Ooh. app. It was created by my friend Katara McCarty. And she's um, basically like Black women across the board. She just did this study. I can't remember the specific figure, but most Black women in the world are not being able to rest. And so she's really like turned it into these micro moments. She's like, we, we experience microaggression. So shouldn't we experience micro relaxation? So <laughs> it's on the app stores and you can literally like download it and take 15 minutes to relax. And it's like informed for black women because sometimes we need apps that are specific. Now it's for everyone, but it centers black women. And I think that's really similar to just black women's liberation writ large, because we are fighting for ourselves, but we're also fighting for everybody because that's the expectation. Yeah. And that's also the ethics. I wanted to kind of get your opinion on the trends you're noticing in how we talk about mental well-being, mental health, and also get some of your feelings about how we can embrace more vulnerability, have more openness around the subject that has been so stigmatized, um, and how to, yeah, just keep the conversation going. Definitely. Um, I can't remember his name, but there's this like guy that I started following on Instagram and he'll be like three tips to unlock your lower back, three tips to help your like, you know, shoulder pain. And today he posted something where he was just like, so for the past few weeks, I felt terrible. And I don't know what that means. But as a man, I still feel like I can't seek out help. And I'm mm. actually changing that right now. And I'm just making this video and I don't have any solutions. I don't have three tips to fix your mental health, but I just want to talk about it. And he said it made him feel better. And I think that's a huge step because the fact that I can openly discuss being on medication, where I remember being a kid and I've been on medication for my mental health since I was a child. And I remember just the stigma of like, I had to go to the like nurse's office to take my like second dose in the afternoon. And I was just so treated differently. And now those same people who treated me differently are like, oh, hey, Blair, I'm getting on Ritalin. Can you walk me through it? And I'm just like, sure, because I'm a very forgiving spirit. But I'm also like, screw you, girl. Like you bullied me for that, you know? I will not but forget. 
you know, exactly. And so I think that mental health is just shifting so much where people are speaking up on it. But the fact is that like, I think that as we speak up on it, that's so important. But like I was saying about the frog and the pot and that whole metaphor is that a lot of it is the conditions that we're, that we're in. It's not a either or, it's a both and. And I think that the world is very heavy on the human mind. And so when I talk to, um, you know, when I go and I speak at schools and I'm, you know, lecturing to young people, I also want to remind them like, hey, when we see media and stats that say young people are more depressed than they were before, and it's like, there's maybe more depressing things. Maybe we have more access to things that are depressing. It's not to dismiss or belittle or stigmatize depression, but it's to very much also recognize that we have a lot of structures around that make it very difficult. Like for you and I, you know, I'm assuming we're around the same age. If we wanted to have our, if we wanted to see body stigma and body shaming, we had to see a magazine or turn the TV on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or walk, yep. walk down and see a billboard. These kids are now being bombarded with apps, filters, right in the palm of their hand on a constant basis. Their friends are doing it. The people they idolize are doing it. Um, I don't post anything with filters and then I'm put on a pedestal for that. But I also recognize that both my parents are social workers. So they got my like body image to a place where I'm able to do that. So it's a lot of layers, but yeah. I feel like it's so dismissive when people are like, um, girls today have worse body image. That makes it sound like it's their fault. What we should right. be saying is that media is more body negative and more restrictive about what body types are beautiful and, and beauty standards are so much more prevalent in media, which has resulted in, but we see that across the board. We see that when we say um, bisexuals have higher rates of interpersonal violence, it makes it sounds like, well, bisexuals be wild. And instead right. it's biphobia means that a lot more bisexuals are subjected to violence in ways that are gay or straight counterparts aren't. So it's really about recognizing that. But I think that the fact that we're even having those conversations is a huge step forward because mm -hmm. it was not always that way. So my mom's a social worker. So if I had come to her and said I had body image issues, we would have been on a plan. But I think most of my friends, had they come to their parents and or, you know, guardians or adults and said, um, I'm having body image issues, they would have been brushed off. And I think today that might be the case for some people, but I think that's the outlier. Whereas previously, just even, I don't know, like 15 years ago, the outlier would have been to help. So I think mm -hmm. that speaks to the shift we're having, which I think is really positive. Yeah, I know. It's like a double edged sword as we I think we've all been aware of social media. It's like you have access to great minds, therapists and all of these like ideas. But there's also like you really have to curate what you're digesting or else the algorithm really comes for all of your insecurities. Just to sell you something, just to sell, just you, to solutions. sell you solutions. And I think that's a very terrifying thing. And I love to see the onus put onto the social media companies. The good news, I think, is that a lot of these developers and CEOs are themselves having kids and are mm -hmm. themselves adopting, fostering, whatever, and are seeing the impact on children. And because of that, they're more pushed to change things. The unfortunate thing is it turns into censorship of people who like previously we're like the core audience of Instagram, you know, when Instagram was, a, as I called it, a TNA app, but now it's like, oh, you show any TNA, you're going to be deplatformed. It's like, what the heck? That's not what's causing the issue. It's the fact that we have companies on there that are selling diet pills that are, you know, selling Ozempic that are making people feel like they have to buy a solution and that their bodies are problems. And so the other good news is I think that there's been more conversations around that. And I think more changes are happening. Um, but I think a part of it is that 
where we had a lot of developers and, you know, like engineers and stuff who were very disconnected from community, that's now shifting, which I think is helping them to see the impact. So there's more research, there's more studies constantly coming out, which is also good. Yep. You've touched on it, but what does overcoming overwhelm look like for Blair? (laughs) It means quoting the Oprah Winfrey and saying no is a full sentence because you just got to say no. Like, don't feel bad that you can't do all the things. Recognize that you're not meant to do all the things, that we have a lot of bodies on this planet. And if you can pick your lane and do what you do for justice, for whatever that looks like for you, as long as it's not hurting nobody else or yourself, then do it. And really emphasize that or yourself because you deserve to live in the world that you're trying to create. And I think that's the biggest thing. I'm not into being a martyr. I'm not into lighting myself on fire to keep other people's warm. I'm going to put my oxygen mask on and then help other people. And it's not selfish. It is survival. So yeah, that's what I think overcoming it looks like. It doesn't mean getting over it. It means changing the conditions that are making you overwhelmed to begin with. On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Blair Amani. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille and edited and mastered by Sarah Gabrielli. Special thanks to our production assistant, Charlotte Tratner. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.